0: Welcome to the Boneyard. It's your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the magnificent Humday edition of The Yard. I forget what day it is sometimes. You know what it is? You work every day and it's like we don't have this regimented schedule to kind of keep us on track. But it is the Wednesday edition of The Yard. A lot to talk about today. Man, what a good week of basketball we're having in Starkville, Mississippi. We're going to celebrate all of that today. We've got a great top ten list for you. A little bit of a programming note. It appears I'll be recording Monday's show out in New Mexico I didn't plan to go back out there, but uh, I have decided to make the effort to go out there and uh, take my lovely bride out for Valentine's Day dinner. She doesn't even know yet, so don't tell her. I'll let her know a little bit later today, uh, so you won't have to keep that secret for very long. But yeah, I'm going to run out there, be a short trip, and then uh, she'll be back here in uh, under three weeks. Thank the good Lord, right? Yep, absolutely. But I'm going to go out there, spend some time with her, spend a couple days, and then I'll head back. And then the Wednesday show next week, of course, we be recorded here in Starkville. As we start getting ready for college baseball, that's right. It's here, man. We're going to talk about that a little bit later in the show. And uh, we start kind of transitioning in many respects to do more college baseball here on the show. Of course, we're not going to abandon uh, the success that our men's and women's basketball teams are making. But uh, a lot more to talk about. And of course, uh, you know, we usually play about four to five games a week during college baseball season. So, uh, you know, things are about to pick up. Business is about to pick up in a lot of respects. And so your rooting interest will uh, will grow exponentially here in the coming weeks. And then in under a month's time, we'll have spring football to talk about. It's the busiest time of year. It really is. With spring football, baseball, men's and women's basketball. The spring semester, especially once you get into the month of March, very, very, very busy. A lot to keep up with. No better place to keep up with it than jeanspage.com. I'm happy to say I share with you guys here, oh, about this time last month. Ooh. December was the biggest month we've ever had. And I'm happy to say, as of yesterday, I was informed that it's the biggest January we've ever had. So back-to-back record months over jeanspage.com. Come be a part of our wonderful community. Our experts are there to uh, to interact with you. Sometimes it even gets a little bit uh, dicey, shall we say. Got some strong opinions on our message boards, and so come by and be a part of that, of course, Enjoy all of our content. Most of it is free, but we do have some VIP stuff. But uh, so you, there is some value in a subscription. So come by and check us out today at jeanspage.com. Let's thank our friends at Bulldog Burger Company. I had Bulldog Burger Company earlier this week. It was a fantastic experience. It always is. The main thing that I'm looking for, you know, when it comes to a dining experience, is number one, consistency, right? I mean, you don't consistently go back to a place that doesn't do a good job. I like a variety of the menu. I like quality food and service. I like a great atmosphere. I get all of those needs met at Bulldog Burger Company, and you will too. Three great locations to serve you. University Drive here in Start Vegas, Gloucester Street there in Tupelo, Lake Harbor Drive in the Rich and Flowood area. Uh, pretty pumped about that location. As a matter of fact, I will be in uh, Central Mississippi uh, tomorrow morning as uh, Stage 24, Storage 24, puts together uh, a new video. And you never know. You might see a cameo appearance from your good friend and host. How about that? Wouldn't that be cool? And we might go break some bread afterwards. You never know. And uh, what better place to go than at Lake Harbor Drive exit uh, on my way to New Mexico, right? But as always, Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet, M-E-A-T. Be sure and stop in there for happy hour, 3 to 6, every day, every day. Happy hour specials, and uh, maybe get like a, get the spring rolls. Like to tide you over to supper. Like go in there and have an adult beverage, and get the spring rolls, and then you show up, sit at the dinner table, even better looking than when you left. Trust the science, as always. Bulldog Burger Company. All right, so let's jump into men's hoops. You know, we knew we had to win that LSU game, and got a little dicey for a few minutes there. You know, it did. And you, you expect some of that. I mean, obviously, they're well coached, but kind of like we talked about, you know, the second half really hasn't been a friend to LSU. That was the case here. You know, State with a three-point lead at the break, and then we outscore them by eight in the second half. So, you know, the, the trends are the trends for a reason, right? There is evidence and events that add to that. It's not an anomaly. The teams like LSU just kind of tend to wear down. LSU now 500 on the year. You may recall they began the year 12 and 1 and now have lost 11 straight. 1 and 10 now in the Southeastern Conference. The one other loss, of course, came in the SEC Big 12 uh, shootout or challenge, whatever you want to call it. But state wins 64 53. But uh, yeah, LSU kind of gave us, especially late in the first half, it felt like we had some problems scoring there. And listen, a lot of that is our own execution, but give LSU some credit. They switched some defenses and things like that. And you know, the bottom line is when you're when you're coaching, you know, you gotta find what works. You know, LSU, as a matter of fact, pushed this thing out to a uh, a six point lead. You know, state got off to the great start. You're thinking, oh, we're gonna, you know, we're gonna wax these guys. It was a ten nothing game, just under two minutes played. DJ Jeffries comes out absolutely red hot for us, and then things kind of chilled for a while. It's a tie game at 12.47 to go. State takes it back out to a four-point lead. And the next thing you know, LSU with a K.J. Williams fast break three takes a two-point lead. LSU held the lead for a while here. Got as, as much as six a couple times. Uh, right under seven minutes, you know, we, we've we cut it now to uh, to a four-point game. And then State eventually pulls even uh, at 22-22, 132 to play in the first half. And from there, you know, State adds a couple of uh, – a free throw in a basket to have that, that narrow lead, but it felt like we had weathered the storm a little bit and playing at home and, and our, our fans that were there gave, it, gave us a great home court advantage. You're starting to see more of that. DJ Jeffries comes out in the second half, kind of picks up where he left off, Rams home a three to put State up six. The lead swells to 11 points at 1542 to play on a big Cam Matthews dunk and Cam playing Cam play the best basketball of his career. It's really become a fan favorite. I think everybody sees it as much. LSU, again, kind of trades baskets with us for a while. And the next thing you know, another DJ Jeffries three-pointer pushes it back out to 11 at 45-34, just under the 10-minute mark. And from there, it just kind of felt like State managed the game, that LSU just simply couldn't get any closer. In fact, another DJ Jeffries three makes it a 15-point game with 345 to play. It starts to become academic at that point. You trade a few baskets here, next thing you know, under a minute to play, Deshaun Davis knocks on a couple free throws to make it a 14-point game. Uh, a three-point basket from Derek Fountain, former Bulldog, with 17 seconds left, uh, gives you the final score of the game, and the margin of victory is 11 points for the Bulldogs. So state advances again, you know, now have won four in a row, and you know, again, it's kind of playing out how many of us expected. We get in the back half of this schedule. We start getting some games at home. We start winning. State now 16 and eight overall and four and seven in the league. And you start thinking, okay, you know, what's next for us? You know, we have put together some quality wins over some quality opponents. LSU, not one of those. Of course, LSU with a completely revamped roster. But listen, nobody's feeling sorry for Mississippi State. You know, Iverson are left, you know, our best offensive piece. Nobody ever said, oh, poor Mississippi State. The Bulldogs now four in a row. Of course, it went over TCU at South Carolina. We beat Missouri at home. We get OSU at home, take care of them. And now we get ready to go on the road to play in one of the most difficult venues in all of college basketball. It's Bud Walton Arena. Arkansas is 11-1 at home this year. The Razorback fans do turn out. They do support this team. They do believe in men's basketball. Had a couple really good years under Musselman. And so this is a good team. It's a quality team. But uh, they're 17-7 and seven overall, but now 6-5 in the league. So in SEC play, they've kind of come back to earth a little bit. But, uh, you know, they had the big summer tour, and they had a couple of exhibitions. They open up with a win over North Dakota State. They take care of Fordham and South Dakota State, Louisville. Uh, that was out at the Maui Invitational. So they open up 4-0, and and then they lose to Creighton. You know, Creighton's a quality team a three-point game, and at that time, Creighton was ranked in the top 10. The final game with the gym, the Maui Jim Invitational uh, out at Lahaina, Hawaii, was a 78-74 win over San Diego State. A quality experience for them. You, know, you go out there and you win a couple ball games, you feel good, you come back home, take care of Troy, San Jose State, UNC Greensboro. Then you get Oklahoma, the Crimson and Cardinal Classic, and you take care of those guys by 10. So, you, know, you you put together, you know, a nice little winning streak here. Then you add to it by taking out Bradley and UNC Asheville. And then they lose in Baton Rouge in the SEC opener to LSU. The long SEC win for the Tigers, a 60-57 win. And that was a big deal. That was a big deal. LSU was playing well at the time. Arkansas was playing well at the time. We start thinking, "Wait, well, maybe LSU was a lot better than we expected. They bounce back at home, take care of Missouri by six. They go to Auburn, lose down there by 13. And then Alabama gets some 84-69 in Fayetteville. And then they lose at Vanderbilt and then at Missouri. So four-game losing streak in conference play, and they open up losing five of the first six. They go beat Ole Miss by 10, and they get some revenge over LSU and win that game by 20. And then lose at Baylor in the SEC Big 12 Challenge, 67-64. They take care of a by 11. That was a big win. That would, again, that was at home. They travel to South Carolina and take them down by two. And then they win in Rupp Arena uh, by 15. And any time that you win in Lexington, it's a big deal. It's kind of like winning in Tuscaloosa in football. It really is. Because you don't just have to beat them in the atmosphere, of their t- tradition, you got to beat officiating. And I don't care what anybody says or does. It's kind of like that big South Panola streak, right? It's true. Like you don't want to be the official that makes some, you know, controversial call that changes the trajectory of things. You know, it's just human nature. People get on a roll with a team, the crowd gets all excited, all of a sudden they start forcing some shots up, getting some contact, and turning into three-point plays. You gotta be able to combat that. So a huge win at Kentucky, but it has been a fairly mediocre sec schedule so far for them we need to find a way to win that game you can have two teams playing with a lot of confidence get together tomorrow that's a 5 p.m tip on espnu 5 p.m tip espnu if you're in the northwest arkansas area wearing maroon i encourage you to go check out that ball game we could use some bulldogs in the building of course you'll be up in the rafters you know bud walton arena I've had some people that have gone and said, hey, it looks great on TV, not so much in person. Yeah, we'll see. But I I know it's a great place. It's a great place for college basketball. It is a great place, uh, you know, if you're just a fan of the game. But the reality of it is, is we're going to have to bring our best effort to go out there. Today's podcast is brought to you by Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast. What's the best way to help you and your finances thrive? The answer can be overwhelming with all the financial misinformation out there. Fortunately, you can turn to NerdWallet's Objective Finance journalists to set things straight and help you make smart decisions with your own money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bill so I don't dread April every single year, managing finances with a partner without causing a breakup, putting away more money for retirement since I'm not going to do this podcast forever. Sorry, folks. And also boosting my credit score since good credit is like a real life cheat code. Saving for an emergency fund because life is like a good movie, it loves a good plot twist. The nerds also explained the real impact that the latest financial headlines could have on your life. Weekly financial check ins with smart money help you spend more time doing what matters and less time worrying about what doesn't. Let Nerd Wallet's trusted experts untangle today's web of financial misinformation. Listen to the NerdWallet Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Bulldog fans, rodeo season is here. That's right, the Dixie National Rodeo. Get ready to roll, man. And uh, I remember being a kid, that was like the biggest highlight for us. My grandmother would get us tickets every year. And me and my brother would wear our cowboy outfits. We'd put our boots on, have our chaps, our vests. And we go up there, and just in case one of the cowboys got a little bit scared to get on a horse or a bull, we were willing to do it. Yeah, for sure. Guys, boots aren't just for going out to a country western bar and doing a little boot scooting. Maybe you got a little Texas two-step in your game. Tacovas can make you look better than ever. Absolutely. And here's the deal, too. That's the thing, the versatility of Tacovas. And you know what, partner? Point your toes west. They win that ball game. All right, Ricky Council, the fourth, leading the Razorbacks with a 17.1 scoring average. He has started 23 of 24 games, but he has appeared in every game this year. Not sure why he sat when he did, but uh, has nearly 100 points more than the next highest scorer, uh, who is Anthony Black, who has started all 24 games, averaging 12.8. Uh, points per game and pulling down 5.3 rebounds which is second on the team but at this point and and you think we're deep enough in his schedule you have a pretty good idea of who people are and what they're about but the Razorbacks have five players averaging double figures so it's very much a by committee thing Nick Smith is a guy that um, hasn't played a ton you know played in five games but he's averaging 12.8 points a game Uh, Travon Brazil averaging 11.8 and then Devontae Davis, 11.2. But uh, you, know, you got some guys out here; they're doing some good things. And obviously, you know, a couple of those guys are, are reserves that don't play, you know, a ton of minutes. And Trevon Brazil hasn't started a game yet; it's got 106 points. So they're getting good bench play. They're getting good production from the starters on the offensive end. But when you start working through this thing and you start thinking about, you know, what's at stake for Mississippi State, this is a big game for both teams. So it will be a very, very intense game. There's no, there's no question about it. As a team they're shooting 70% from the free throw line, allowing 69%. Of course, there is no free throw defense. Uh, but the reality of it is is they you know they're not they're they're not giving up a lot. I guess they're averaging um, I guess they're scoring from the free throw line what the 20 21, 31, 31.12. I don't know, what the difference is here. 31 points. 31 points more at the free throw line. So they're not a team that's necessarily going to kill you at the line. And we've got to do a good job of defending without fouling, especially when this team gets on a roll, because that crowd will get behind them. It's kind of how life works. Now they have had a couple of guys have gotten into some foul trouble. Jordan Wash, uh, Makai Mitchell, both have fouled out of games, five apiece uh, this year. So they're a team that will foul uh, while defending. But it's Arkansas. You know, these are our contemporaries, right? I mean, honestly, I mean, in Arkansas probably spends a little bit more on basketball than we do. And traditionally, of course, they've got a couple of banners hanging up there in the rafters of Bud Walton Arena for a couple of national championships. But Arkansas is a lot closer to Mississippi State than they are Kentucky. They're lot closer to Mississippi State than they are a lot of other teams in this conference, but you know, had a good run in the 90s. But uh, they got a taste of that, and their fans are eager to get back. And so they come out, they support it. Uh, they're very, 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 very loud, very rambunctious. If you've been – you guys that have been to baseball, you understand. Arkansas fans are very passionate about their team. So we're going to have a very, very stiff challenge on our hands as we get into um, this ballgame. Looking at some conference numbers from them, too, and I, I so appreciate it when people separate between the conference and uh, the non-conference. But in conference play, three players, double-digit scorers. Uh, Ricky Council, the fourth, 15 points a game. Devontae Davis, 14-and-a-half. Anthony Black, 13-and-a-half. And from there, it's pretty measured behind them. I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty balanced. The next four or five guys are pitching about a half dozen points a game. So you're getting a pretty good contribution from your bench, even in SEC play. But you start looking at, you know, three-point shooting, around 30% as a team, exactly 30% as a team. Devontae Davis, the biggest threat there. But they don't attempt a lot of threes. It's not like Alabama. Uh, to kind of frame that up for you, Arkansas has attempted 182 threes this year. They've, they've allowed 181 attempts. As a matter of fact, their opponents are out shooting them from beyond the arc. So perimeter defense uh, may be a bit of a challenge, but we're not a team that especially stresses you beyond the arc. Averaging 71.1 points a game, allowing 69.4. So you kind of get why these games are so competitive. Arkansas just hasn't been able to get a lot of separation. They just kind of grind you out. And again, an an incredible home court advantage there. So we're probably going to have to be about 8 to 10 points better than them to pull this thing out. We're entering the game with a lot of confidence. They're entering the game with a lot of confidence, as you would expect. Anytime you win at Kentucky, you feel pretty good about yourself, even though it's not a great Kentucky team this year. And if you followed the uh, Twitter account Message Board Geniuses, which I do, I think it's hilarious. Uh, they have the Kentucky message boards featured regularly. You know, as they bash on Cal, but you know, you lose by 15 points uh, in your Kentucky in your home arena to an Arkansas team that is in in the top half of the league. But they're not Tennessee. They're, you know, they're not Alabama, right? I mean, I can understand a lot of the angst. Uh, but the reality of it is, is, we don't have to play Kentucky yet. But when we do, we do get them at our place. So, got to find a way to go make some good things happen, and, and can just begin to imagine what it would feel like to extend this winning streak to five. Because if you get, that's the thing is, you, you start thinking about you know what's next, you know, for the Bulldogs. And we reviewed the schedule, it seems, every show. But, you know, you come back home next Wednesday against Kentucky, a very vulnerable Kentucky team, very talented Kentucky team. You know, they got, they've got some pieces. And if you don't bring your best effort, they're, they're capable of embarrassing you. They are. But if you could find a way to get that game against Arkansas, can you imagine how difficult it will be to get tickets for Wednesday's game? So I'm encourage you to do that. And then next Saturday, we travel to Ole Miss. We always talk about these three-game segments. You know, my honest opinion is, even though Arkansas is just six and five in the league, I think the, I think the game at Arkansas is probably more difficult to Kentucky. I think if you get this game against Arkansas, you got a chance here to put together a nice little streak or continue a nice little streak. I think you could extend this thing. I think you feel. I mean, anytime you got to go to Oxford, it's a rivalry game. It doesn't matter what the records are. I mean, it's become cliche, but especially after beating them and Kermit Davis coaching for his job. We all know it. It's going to be a tough ball game. So you're going to have three consecutive games with a lot of energy in the atmosphere on the road to Arkansas, back here, be a tremendous experience here at uh, the Humphrey Coliseum on Wednesday. But you start putting a segment together and you start thinking, you know, hey, can we get two of the next three? Well, if you do get two of the next three, and it's more, it's more difficult, I guess, than the last three. All of a sudden, that makes you six and eight in the conference. Six and eight with just a little bit of time left to play, and uh, of course, you got that uh, big road trip to Missouri. We know what they're capable of, even though we won that ball game. And, and we'll, it'll be a different Tiger team when we go up there. It will be. But you start working through this, and you begin to realize if you can find a way. The, the final two games, of course, Vanderbilt shocked Tennessee the other day. We got to go up there and play at their place, Jerry Stockhouse, uh, a very good coach. Maybe they haven't had as success they've expected, but you start counting games here, and you see there is a path to get to 500 or a game beneath 500. You could make life a whole lot easier on you if you can handle these next couple of all games. Of course, A&M playing well too, and, and the good thing is that game is here. But um, the reality of it is, is most of our difficult games, with the exception of Arkansas, will be played at Humphrey Coliseum, and there are no easy games in this league as Tennessee can attest after Vanderbilt hits the big shot. I still don't understand, and I don't know, maybe somebody on the bench was hollering. Tennessee has a chance to basically get a wide-open layup to go up by four with, what was it, 10 seconds left or 20 seconds left. They like to run clock. They don't convert, and it sets up a game-tying situation. If you lay that ball up and in, it's a four-point game. For all intents and purposes, the game is over and again, I'm sure there was somebody on the bench hollering clock, 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 so the kid pulls it out. But somebody somewhere made a bad decision. They absolutely did. And you got to think, well, we've got the ball with the lead. they got to foul us. And uh, didn't work out quite the way they expected. So a uh, pretty incredible win for Vanderbilt. So again, there's nobody on this schedule that you can afford to just kind of mail it in and then expect to get a win. You know, South Carolina comes here for senior night. That, that may be the one game you look at and say, okay, that's, that's when we probably got, right? South Carolina not playing well. It's a home game. But, uh, again, if you don't bring your good effort in this league, you end up on Sports Center for the wrong reasons. But, uh, again, very, very happy with uh, the performance. And, again, Tolu Smith has really played well. There were times this early in the stretch here in the conference play, we all were kind of like, you know what, it's, it's just not working out. Well, give Tolu and the staff a lot of credit here because they've got him playing well. We're getting our scholarship money out of Tolu. Let's take a quick look inside our numbers. We had not done that in a while either. But Tolu now averaging 14.7 points a game, the only double-digit scorer on the Bulldog roster at this point. DJ's got 9.2, Shaquille with 9, Deshaun Davis 7.9, Cam Matthews just under 7 points a game. So we're kind of doing it with Tolu and then by committee. Three-point shooting still pretty abysmal. Uh, right at 28%. We're allowing just over 30% our opponents have made 175 threes we've made 137 and in some of these games as tightly contested as they are that's made the difference just imagine how much better we'd be if we had one good perimeter shooter just one how much would life change how much would it open the floor up for tolu right there's a lot to that so some of this is personnel it's not just coaching it's not just execution because sometimes you're asking people to do things they can't do But I think the staff has done a good job kind of playing to our strengths. And as a result, we're playing winning basketball. So four in a row. And if you saw that coming two weeks ago, uh, you've won Bulldog basketball bingo because I don't think most people did. Of course, you know, we knew those games were winnable. The TCU game, to me, is the biggest outlier of the bunch. It's a very, very good team. And we were able to win that game. And, of course, that sparks us uh, to this nice little streak. We're starting to win the games we're expected to win. Of course, that Georgia loss still kind of hangs around our, our necks, you know, like a mason stone on a on a chain, you know. And they're not going to get better, you know. They're not. They're always going to be a quad three loss that really hurts us. So, we got to find a way to offset that. And I think you know, knocking off Arkansas, knocking off Kentucky, would give you the opportunity to do that. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. Let's. We're just going to kind of enjoy the ride, right? All I know is right now we've won four straight. We have, and in a variety of ways, with a different hero every night in many respects. But, uh, again, you're starting to get more consistent play from Tolu, and that's kind of the straw that stirs a drink. When he's the guy that you can run your offense through, then you can kick it out, and if you're making some shots from the outside of the perimeter, makes you tough to beat. But uh, Mississippi State defensively, again, one of the elite teams in the country, and, again, that goes down to coaching. Defense and rebounding is about effort. It's about coaching and positioning. And uh, coaches got to put you in a position to do that. But also, too, you got to find the right players to put on the floor. And, you know, we talk about, you know, the Christian's experience. I think the guy's got more fans now than he's ever had at Mississippi State because you're beginning to see his vision come to light. And so I'm not going to get all technical and talk about certain things that we do. I mean, the bottom line is this. We just want to win. I mean, how many games last year did we have? Okay, we got a quad one win opportunity loss had a bunch of quad one opportunities and could never get it done there's a lot of times late in games especially in the final four minutes when it boils down to coaching and how many times have you seen state be able to close here as of late whether it be at the free throw line or from an offensive set and all of a sudden you start building up some confidence against some quality opponents and you start realizing hey we can compete with these guys we can so excited about the bulldog basketball team and uh, really can't wait you know, for the next time we take the court. And, you know, that's the thing about the last couple of years. You know, it's kind of like we've endured basketball season. So I can, in, Basically, the, the conversation was, does Ben Howland get fired this year for the last two years? That's been the discussion. And, and I know there's some people out there that are still Ben Howland apologists. Let me just tell you this. We weren't in in 2020. I know you want to convince yourself of that, but I'm, I'm just going to tell you, based on the feedback that I get from people that were actually involved that it wasn't a matter of opinion, right? We weren't in. And people want to, well, we wouldn't have made it. We wouldn't have made it. We needed to go win two games in the SEC tournament. We weren't going to do that. But it is what it is, right? But the last two years, you know, basically we've all been rooting for a coaching change. Well, I say not all of us, the majority of us, and certainly last year we all knew it was turning in that direction. And we got the right guy we got the right staff. And I can only begin to imagine how much fun it's going to be when he gets a little more talent on the offensive end. to get a couple scores here because we know the defensive system works. We know the culture is taking root. And so instead of us having to wait the next year, and listen, we, move, we may still end up in the NIT. Maybe. But we're building towards something. And there's still some games to play. We can certainly play our way into the tournament. We absolutely can but the fact that we're on the bubble at this point in the season after that dreadful start to SEC play says a lot about this team and about our coaches, and it really bodes well for the future. It's exciting to think about what's in store for the future at Mississippi State. And, again, I go back to all this last year. I, I remember thinking when people like, hey, the last two are McMahon and, and Jans, and there was you know some people closely affiliated with the search just said, you know, I just think Jans fits us better. I think Jans is a better fit for us culturally. And it worked out, you know, I think in the end, I think, you know, LSU, you know, going after, man, that was great, because I think in the end, it made our decision easier, and, and we got the guy we wanted anyway. Just a better fit for us. And so for the first time in a long time, I'm really optimistic about Mississippi State men's basketball. And I think you should be as well. If you're on the fence now, it's just because you're holding yourself back with personal reluctance. It's not because of any evidence you've seen on the court. Because this team appears to be getting better and better and better each time out. And if you can find a way to get that game in Bud Walton Arena, it really sends a warning shot to the rest of the Southeastern Conference. You know, you really don't want to play Mississippi State. You don't. You think John Calipari is excited to get back to Starkville? With the team that he has and the way that we're playing right now, you would have wanted to play us early, right? We were reeling a little bit, trying to find a sense of ourselves. Can you imagine the focus that Mississippi State will get from Kentucky in the days leading up to that game? It's going to be exciting. You're going to want to be a part of it. I encourage you, if you hadn't bought tickets, you have to buy it. Let's make the hump a sellout environment when Kentucky comes in. We have a real chance to win that game. And how many times have we gotten close and gotten close and the refs bailed them out or the moment was too big for us? You know, I go back to Jemite Gordon hitting that big three in the SEC tournament several years ago. Uh, You know, and even in that game, it felt like the officials were trying to give the game to Kentucky. So you could be the difference. You could be the difference. And, uh, again, tip of the cap to our students that have done such a great job this year being engaged in the game, coming out, being a part of all this. I love each and every one of you. You can claim me as your uncle if you'd like. Put me down as a job reference because you're doing the job. You're doing the job. You're getting out there, and you're setting the tone for the crowd environment at Mississippi State. Now, those of you, too, it's not all you know flowers and candy today. Those of you that have lower-level tickets, if you can't make a midweek game, Let's please get those tickets in the hands of Bulldogs. And I don't mean just going and putting them on StubHub, right? You can put them on Facebook. You can put them on our jeans Page ticket office and, uh, you know, look for somebody. Obviously, it's got a, uh, you know, a long-time established profile. It's somebody that's not trying to snake you. But uh, let's get those tickets in the hands of Bulldogs because, listen, we need all hands on deck down the stretch here. And this team certainly has proven they're capable of winning games and they're capable of – riding the wave of your energy to a victory. So it's a partnership. Let's make sure we're all working together to ensure that, that every one of those seats is filled uh, when Kentucky comes to town. All right, time for today's top 10 list is always brought to you by CloseWithBlair.com. That's C-L-O-S-E with Blair, B-L-A-I-R.com. Blair is my friend in the mortgage industry. We all need a friend in the mortgage industry because it's terrible. It is. There's so many things they want. I mean, these underwriters sometimes that feel like they want to make you jump through hoops and ask you for like a note from your second grade teacher or lock of your kid's first haircut. I mean, it's like there's so many things they ask for it, it just doesn't appear to be relevant. And sometimes it's unnecessary. So it's good to have an advocate, somebody that can, that number one knows how to structure a loan to get a clean approval. But when there are issues, a guy that can go be your advocate and fight for you and say, hey, look, we don't need this or we can provide this or whatever, there are a lot of people that want your business. Blair Chandler is willing to prove it. He's going to pay for your appraisal. Just mention to him you heard about him on the Boneyard. He's going to pay for your appraisal, about a five hundred dollar value. A lot of people are looking for, you know, the dream of home ownership. Maybe it's eluded him in the past. Maybe you've been turned down before, and you think I don't want to get emotionally invested in this to even get my hopes up again. I tell you what, give Blair a chance. This is a guy that specializes in hard cases. He's seen it all and done it in twenty-one years of experience. And if he can't get you approved, he can put you on a pathway to get you there next time. But by and large, you're going to get your loan closed. Give him a call or text today at 601-500-2344. Again, that's 601-500-2344. That's closed with Blair.com. Okay. I think we've got a problem with the top 10 list. Because you know, I did Rage Against a Machine last week. I had already done Rage Against the Machine. I can't prove it, but I did it. And I don't know, maybe if that was in the infancy of all this, and maybe it didn't make its way to Spotify, so we did it again. And it's never, you, you can never talk about rage too many times. So I had somebody hit me up and said, hey, Steve, um, can you do the Little River Band? I know that I've done Little River Band. So I hit Roy up, and I said, like, Roy's like, oh, we hadn't done them. So Gordon Griffin was the guy that was putting the list together before Roy was, and Roy says, oh, I don't have it. And so I know we've done Little River Band, but we're going to do them again today. Now here's a cool thing, a little bit of trivia about the Little River Band that maybe a couple of things you probably don't know. Number one, even though they sound like a southern rock band, they're an extremely southern rock band because they're from Australia. Did you know that? Yeah. Matter of fact, the uh, I guess the bass player was in a band called Zoot. You know who the lead singer of Zoot was? Isn't that fun to say? Say it with me, Zoot. Rick Springfield. Yeah, pretty cool. But the Little River Band, despite the fact they were from Australia, their first name was Mississippi. How about that? That little bit of trivia. They were able to dig out courtesy of Al Gore's internet, right? I didn't know that until today. I've been listening to the Little River Band my whole life. I never knew that they were originally called Mississippi. And why would a band from Australia pick the name Mississippi? Well, they did. Had a couple of hits. Had a number one hit. Is the band called uh, Mississippi? They did a cover song called "Daddy Cool." that went to number one on the Australian rock charts. How about that? If nothing else today, you learned something pretty interesting, right? All right, so here we go. Top ten list, and uh, there are about twenty songs that I could make a case for. And I don't know the Little River Band's really gotten its just due. They're in the Australian Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. They're not in ours, and maybe maybe they shouldn't be. There's a lot of people in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame that shouldn't be. And so I could make a case, Little River Band's accomplished a whole lot more. And isn't it ironic, too, that a band called Mississippi would change their name to the Little River Band, and we have a little river here in Mississippi? makes me wonder if there's not a connection somehow within the band. I'm not going to spend a lot of time researching it, but what if there's somebody in the band that's uh, connected to Mississippi in some way? I'll tell you what, and before we move on to this list, I want to personally thank Representative Sam Krigmore. Known Sam a while. Uh, Sam, of course, was involved with the Cotton States League when Ani played over there, and uh, took care of us, man, he did. And Sam's a great guy. You know, he had a kid that played baseball here at state, and um, now is a state representative. And so, a while back, I talked about it on the show, I talked about it on social media, what a shame it is that that uh, Tommy Aldridge, a legendary drummer, is not in the in the Max Hall of Fame. There were a lot of people, and, and I'm going to say this, and. If I step on your toes, I hope it hurts, okay? I'm not going to sit here and tell you that anybody in the MAX doesn't deserve to be in the MAX. I'm not going to say that. But Tommy Aldridge is more deserving than many of the people that are in the MAX. That's just the truth. This is a guy that was Ozzy Osbourne's drummer. He's been Whitesnake's drummer. He was Pat Travers' drummer. He was Gary Moore's drummer. He He was in Dave and the Giants, for crying out loud. Tommy Aldridge has been playing music his entire life and has sold millions of records. He has toured the world over countless times. And his home state can't get him in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in in Mississippi. It's not like we're dealing with the, the folks in Cleveland. Tommy is one of our own. There's not enough rock musicians in the max anyway. And listen, we're the home of the blues, right? We're going to celebrate the Delta Blues as we should because that is really the genesis and birthplace of America's music. But we're going to ignore Tommy Aldrich, a guy that really is a blues player, right? David Coverdale from Whitesnake, a blues singer. Okay, this is kind of the evolution of the blues that we've just amplified it, right? But Tommy Aldridge is a legend, and everybody that you talk to in the music industry, and I have a lot of friends in the music industry, I'll tell you, Tommy Aldridge is a prince of a man, and he deserves to be in the max. And I'm not going to let this thing go. I'm going to continue to do this. And when I first started talking about that, Sam Kriegmore said, hey, what if we did this? Would this help? What if we had a resolution, a house resolution, commending Tommy Aldridge for his amazing career? I said, Sam, can we do that? He goes, we absolutely can. And lo and behold, yesterday they voted and the measure passed. And so now the Mississippi uh, legislature, legislature has issued this uh, you know, resolution. And so if we can do that, if we can enact a resolution, can't we get him into Max? And listen, I know when all this first started, I had a couple people contact me. that were all uncomfortable and like, Steve, you don't understand. You're right. I didn't understand. But what I can understand is how we can pick and choose these other people that are very talented. But we're going to overlook Tommy Aldridge? Oh, well, Tommy's on our list. Okay, Tommy should be at the top of the list. There are some obvious names that have to go in first, right? But Tommy Aldridge has laid down the backbeat of rock and roll, man. Of rock and roll, he is a drummer's drummer. Wayne Stokely, that plays for Lily Knacks, tells me that everybody wants to grow up and be Tommy Aldridge, not just as a musician, but as a person. From Pearl, Mississippi, man, Rankin County. It doesn't get more Mississippi than that. Get Tommy Aldridge and the Max. I'm not going to shut up about it. I'm not. And, I'm, and again, I'm very grateful for uh, Sam to champion this cause. You know, did, let me tell you something. Sam owed me nothing. Sam has given me more than I ever could, right? And Sam owed Tommy Aldridge nothing. There's not like Tommy called him and asked him or somebody else. And I didn't even ask Sam to do this. It was of Sam's own volition. He goes, you know what? Hey, let's do this. And it's a wonderful thing. And you say, well, Steve, it's just a piece of paper. Well, you know, any time it's your state government gives you a pat on the back and commends you for your contributions in your your field of study or your your work, that's a big thing. And it shows that we're grateful, that we're proud of Tommy Aldridge, and we're grateful that he is a Mississippian. And, again, there are people that are on these committees and things like that, and, and I suspect many of them have no clue who Tommy Aldridge is. And so I'm going to keep beating the drum. I'm going to keep the pressure on people, not in a mean-spirited way, by any stretch of the imagination. That, that's not how – I guess I can't say that's not how I'm built because I am. I'm just not choosing to exercise those muscles right now because I don't think that gets us anywhere. I think getting adversarial doesn't help. But uh, And maybe there's some things I've said today that kind of come across that way. But the reality of it is, is Tommy Aldridge is the truth, one of the greatest rock drummers of all time and certainly of this generation. And he needs to be recognized. All right, back to the Little River Band. I right, here are your top 10 Little River Band songs in my estimation, my opinion. And it changes, too, because I know this wasn't the exact order. And there was a while there I used to keep all this stuff. Um, and then my wife got upset. Your office is a mess. Yeah, you're right. So I keep them all kind of in a handy notebook, and when I'm done with the notebook, I throw it away. What's so funny about that is I had somebody, uh, had somebody a while back I had made that comment about how I have a little notebook. I said, wait, can I have it? What? Why, why would you want it? Well, I just think it'd be neat to have them. all this top 10 list. I'm like, let me know. Stay in touch with me. And next time that I run out of a notebook, I'll, I'll sign it and send it to you. How about that? Cool. All right. So here we go. Top 10 Little River Band songs. Number 10. It's a long way there. Great acoustic intro to the song. And uh, there are a couple versions. I've got the radio edit version. I've got the album version. It's incredible. It's, it's basically a journey, man. It is. And that's, I love those songs. When I get out on the road and you put them on and it's like, you know, some songs are just kind of three minutes, two, two mundane verses and an explosive chorus. But a song like It's a Long Way There, it's just a ride, man. The whole thing from start to finish. It's a journey. Number nine, and this is a song that probably is important to all of us in some respects of our life, it's Help Is On The Way. You're in crisis, and listen, we've all been there. You know, I talk about this stuff all the time. Uh, I, have, I have one guy that routinely messages me and says, "Hey, Steve, enough of the false platitudes." Well, they're not false. I genuinely care about all of you. But uh, listen, life is tough, and uh, you know, one of the things that I wrote some time ago, and I've never published this, but uh, except on Facebook, I guess. But uh, you know, if you are dealing with crisis in your life, if you're whether it did not have to be addiction, it could be anything. There is no search party being formed to save you. All right? Understand that. All right, number eight on our list. Probably one of the biggest hits. And I do love this song, but there are so many others that I love more. But it's Lonesome Loser. Have you heard about the Lonesome Loser? Beaten by the Queen of Hearts every time? Right. You know that. We all know that guy, right? Great tune. And again, a very, very successful song on American radio. Number seven... I love the funky bass line on this one because it is more like a slap bass technique. But the harmony on this song, and that's really what Little River Band is known for. You know, are these great radio rock type songs, these incredible harmonies? But it's Happy Anniversary, Happy Anniversary, baby. Got you on my mind. You know, we're we're apart on the anniversary, but uh, great tune for sure. Number six, it's reminiscing. I love this song too. It's one of those songs, too, that kind of takes you back a little bit. I mean, it kind of stands for reason. It's a song called Reminiscing Wood. But it kind of encapsulates the human experience. I mean, you you kind of look back over your life, and you're thinking about the good times, and hopefully you've got some good times to come. I think a lot of that is a self-fulfilling prophecy. You know, I think uh, think there are two kinds of people in the world, those that expect to make it and those that don't. The funny thing is they're both right. But I think when you look at your life and, and you think about you know, the good times. And I hope that that's really the focus. That's not to say you don't learn anything from the downtime. But um, the focus should be on the mountain rather than the valley. Number five, an amazing love song. An amazing love song. It's Lady. Not the Styx version, which is great too. But Lady from Little River Band is a great song. Absolutely is. It's not all about uh, healthy relationships, though. Number four is man on your mind and again incredible harmonies on this and I like the, the kind of the add-in vocal fill-ins they add on the chorus and as they repeat it later in the song. you know it's basically uh, you know in a relationship and uh, your loving interest is somewhat conflicted and, and so the alpha dog kind of comes up a little bit here too. number three, it's take it easy on me. And this to me, I I think if I had to, um, if I had to sell somebody on the Little River Band, this might be the first song that I played them. We've all been there too. You know, it's all up to you, but whatever you do, take it easy on me. You know, again, it's kind of like the end of a relationship or there's a relationship in conflict. And and maybe the guy's not the, uh, the antagonist in this scenario, you know, and that's kind of how it comes off It's like, I want to make this thing work, but if you don't, I'll, I'll move on. I get it, but um, you know, take it easy on me. Number two, I could make a case for this being number one. I don't like to end the top ten list on a, a ballad, but this is an incredible masterpiece of a song, and it's cool change. Time for a cool change. It's like you go through all this stuff in your life, and it talks about how, you know the one The one thing in my life that I'm missing is the time that I spend alone. And he talks about sailing and kind of being out there by himself. And we all need that, you know, in this generation of self-care. And so much of that, you know, we talk about, it's amazing to me. I read this yesterday. I don't know who wrote it, but it's like, we. there's so much focus on self-care. Why are people so incredibly stressed then? You know what I mean? It's like, there's all this, well, I've got to take care of me, and it's, there's all this selfish pursuit, and it's me and, me, and 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 me time. Well, if that's what we're valuing, why is everybody so stressed? You know, the thing that I have learned, and, and again, this is, you know, kind of in conflict with the message of cool change, but the, the, the greatest happiness in my life is not self-care. It's the care of others. You know, I've been very blessed in many respects. And uh, if I have it to give, I give. And I get a gift from that too. The gift of giving, whether it be financially or of, of your heart or of your emotional energy, of your time, giving to others is the key to happiness. It's not me, 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 it's others giving to others that's not to say that you don't need some time to yourself because you can't pour from an empty cup right i mean you have to take some time to kind of refill the tank a little bit but i just i am not a proponent of this selfish movement that we've had in recent years where we have become so self-centered and everything is focused on us it's like there's just so much of that 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 doesn't go along with human nature I mean, think about when Hurricane Katrina hit the Gulf Coast. And people forget that, that it actually hit the Mississippi Gulf Coast. It was. New Orleans, obviously, was a complete war zone for a while. But the hurricane hit the Mississippi Gulf Coast. And I remember Haley Barber, after he had taken his uh, helicopter tour down there, said so it looked like a bomb went off, you know, like we had like a nuclear attack or something. There were a lot of people that really struggled. But the beauty in all of that is how everybody kind of came together. They came together and said, hey, we, hey we've got the, the trees moved from our road. Let's get the chainsaws and trucks, and let's go help our neighbors. And that's really what Mississippi is based on. They don't call us the hospitality state for nothing. And the thing that I've always said is um, you find out who really loves you when you need them the most, right? And especially when it's people that maybe that's all they have to give. Maybe they can't come right pay your rent, but they can come clear your driveway and they expect nothing in return. You know, and we talk about paying it forward when those kind of things happen, you want to do it. It makes me a better person. Like, if somebody does something kind for me and it's always unsolicited, I feel not just a sense of obligation, but a sense of motivation to go help somebody else. I mean, how many times have you seen those things on like Dateline NBC where like they will pay the toll for somebody behind them, and then the person behind them, rather than just driving off, they'll pay for the person behind them. I mean, I mean, and a lot of times it's young people, right? Why well, I already allocated this couple bucks to pay for this this. So let me okay, they did that for me. Okay, let me let me just pay it back. You know, and like I see the little thing on the on the reels and the TikToks, like it's okay. I'll give you twenty bucks or. You can pay it forward, and I'll give the next person $40. And it's amazing to me how so many people will say, I tell you what, no, I'm good. Give it to somebody else. And it was one time, they, uh, one of the videos, It was this, uh, this college student, and uh, she was at some shopping center. And come to find out, she had taken her last $20 to go buy groceries because she wasn't going to have anything to eat. And so she spent her last $20, bucks, didn't have money to put gas in her car. Like she was having to take public transportation. She was broke as the Ten Commandments, and it ended up getting to her. And I think it was 120 bucks. Can you imagine? And then the, the people that paid it forward had no clue who the recipient was going to be, and it ended up being somebody that truly needed it. And that's how life really works. And so I apologize for the tangent, but I just don't agree. I don't agree with living a self-centered life. I don't. I mean, you got to do what's best for you, yeah. But a lot of times, doing what's best for you. Is doing something good for somebody else. I'm a firm believer. And every major religion teaches, you know, a principle of karma. You know, and in the Christian religion, it's, you know, you reap what you sow. And that's not just words on a page. That's true. We've lived that. And so when you sow good things in life, you get them back. That's not to say that bad things don't happen to good people. But I need as much, you know, good karma, pardon the phrase, for those of you that are offended by such as I can get. Because in my younger years, I did a lot of bad things. I've done a lot of good in my life, but I haven't done enough. And so I'm not done giving. And so I encourage you to give. And one of the best ways to do that, and and, um, again, I feel like I'm belaboring the point here, but, um, you know, when Stark Villains came out, I may have told you this story, but so I'll give you the Reader's Digest version. When Stark Villains came out, you know, I was under so much pressure after Flim Flam because Flim Flam was so successful. So how do do I follow this up? And I remember talking to my friends, I said, man, have I already peaked? And he goes, no, nah, it's not about you peaking. It's about now that you've peaked, you got to stay relevant. I was like, yeah, that's, that's the key. And I remember the very first time I, I held Stark Villains in my hands, and I was sitting at the uh, Sprint Mart on 182, just around the corner from the hospital. And I opened that box of books, and I pulled that book out and had it in my hands, and I just cried. I was like, I did it, I did it again. And I said, you know what? This is such so, an amazing moment, and all these memories came rushing back. And I remember being a 15-year-old high school student sitting in Dolores Kagan's keyboarding class, and she went around the room and asked everybody what they wanted to do, and I said, I want to be a musician or a writer. And all the kids laughed, and the joke was on them because I got to do both. And I said, you know what? This is, I've been blessed here. I'm going to pay it forward. And I went around town, and I did three things anonymously, one of those things. I went to Strange Brew and put some money on the gift card for students, and uh, I felt led. I went to I uh, went to Starkville Academy for some reason. My kids went to Starkville High School, but I felt led to go to Starkville Academy. And I went to the office, and I was afraid they'd call security on me. You know, I went to the office. School was getting out, and I walked up there, and I said, "Hey, listen, do you guys have a creative writing department?" And like, well, yes, we do. And I said, "Listen, I told my story about how when I was 15 years old, and I wanted to be a writer, and everybody laughed at me." And I said, I know there's a kid here that feels the same way, and I want to gift them this book. I don't care if they're male or female. I don't care what their situation is. I don't care who they are, or what they're about, but I want to encourage them to keep writing because there was nobody to encourage me, and I'm living proof that dreams come true. And so I told them I don't want to know who the kid was. I don't want the the family to contact me or anything. I just want to give this book and. As I'm telling the story, the creative writing teacher walks in and she says, I know just the student to give this to. And so I wrote in there this whole thing about dreams. Don't let them mess with your dreams. Whatever you do, don't let anybody talk you out of it. And so I wrote that inscription in the book. I left it with her and I left. And it's like all of a sudden that wound when I, from when I was 15 years old was kind of healed because I did it. Let's move forward. Number one, i've really pushed this thing along uh number one my favorite little river band song i remember being a kid listening to this on fm radio if we were getting ready in the mornings like i woke up in my house to two things two things i woke up most mornings hearing my mama praying for me and my brother she'd be in the kitchen and she'd have the radio turned down, and she'd be praying. She started every single morning praying for her family. And I remember that. Even to this day, I remember that. What that It means more to me now than it did back then. You know, because you know, when you're a kid, you think people do things for you out of obligation. But, then, you know, I know that my mama still prays for me every day. I know she does. And I'm very appreciative of that. Well, then once mama would get her devotional done and get her prayers done, she would turn the radio on. And so we grew up listening to the morning show on WFFF. And I remember when this song was popular. Some mornings, one of the first things I would do is I would get up and I would call and request this song because I wanted to hear it. And it's the Night Owls by the Little River Band. Maybe the most rocking song in the catalog. There's a little bit about relationships in it too, but it's just kind of a good straight ahead rock and roll song. So I want to leave you, number one, with a rock song. It's very special to me because it takes me back you know, to a, to a time in my life, you know, before all of this, before any of you knew my name or listened to a show or read a book or an article or anything like that, I was just some small kid in, in South Mississippi, you know, looking to get out. Dying to get out of South Mississippi, right? Wanted to go to Hollywood, you know. Wanted to make it big, strike it rich. I hadn't done any of those things. But uh, I love being from Mississippi, and I love from being being from South Mississippi. <laughs> One of the things that you'll laugh at this. And then one before with the show. One of the things that I think is important to understand is, uh, you know, being from South Mississippi, Dave Murray said it one time, there's a book out there that he recommended to me. It's called Born Fighting. It's kind of like, that's how South Mississippi is. Like we always fly, we have something to prove. That's one of the things that, um, sometimes I got to remind people that I'm from South Mississippi and I wear that like a badge of honor. And, uh, I told you guys I've had a love hate relationship with New Mexico and, and, uh, there was somebody that kind of got a little flippant and rude with me one time when I was out there. And I said, you know, I said, here's something that I want you to know. And maybe this point of reference doesn't mean anything to you, but I'm from South Mississippi. Don't you ever forget that, ever. You might want to do a little research. Don't ever forget that. You grow up in South Mississippi. You know, you know about values. You know about honor. You know about family. You know about friendship. You know about community. But you also don't let people walk all over you. That's how it is. Not to say that there aren't other parts of the country like that, but when you're from South Mississippi, you do not tolerate disrespect. You absolutely don't do it. And maybe that's a blessing and a curse. But sometimes, sometimes, you got to get South Mississippi on somebody just to get a little respect. All right, next segment of the show brought to you as always by Campus Bookmark. I love Campus Bookmark. I might run through there today, you know, since I'm going out there to see the wife. I never like to show up empty-handed, right? Right? She's got something being delivered on Valentine's Day that she doesn't know about, so don't tell her. And I have told her in our time, since our time, you heard the phone ringing earlier. You probably heard the buzzing. i let her know that I'm on the way um, tomorrow. But um, may swing through there and get something. You know how it is when you love somebody, you can't give enough, right? You can't. You can't, and it's not just your time and your effort. Sometimes you gotta buy them something, right? So I may go in there today, uh, you know, excited about Campus Bookmark, man, because every time I go in there, I see some things I didn't see the last time. Because Kathy Brown does such a great job buying stuff, and that's the thing about being a great retailer is you gotta keep things fresh. You keep the, you know, the tried and true stuff. I mean, you gotta have. You can never have too many '85 baseball jerseys, right? You can never have too many of those. But last night I'm FaceTiming with my wife and she's wearing some pajamas that I bought her at the Campus Bookmark, you know. And, yeah, diamonds are a girl's best friend. My girl prefers baseball diamonds. So you never know, make her get her an M over S uh, shirt, right? Or a sweatshirt a hoodie, whatever. There's so much of that to choose from. And there's so many people in your life that are going to be headed to Duty Noble Field here in the next couple of weeks. And what better way to show them that you love them than maybe getting them some new Mississippi State baseball apparel from Campus Bookmark? They have a new shipment of the Mike Lee shirts too. They have the, the crop necks and a crew neck, excuse me, and uh, the hoodies, even some sweatshirts. You can order all that at campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays, and that is BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. And that'll get you free shipping on all orders over 75 bucks. Any order less than $75, absolutely incomplete. Be sure and check them out today, campusbookmart.net. Dot net. All right, so since the men have won, the ladies have won again too, and it, I don't know what it is how to say this, but um, if I can get it out, I have enjoyed this week of women's basketball maybe more than I have enjoyed any week in the last couple of years, right? Because, you know, after Vic left, and it was always the big surprise and a shock, and then we go out and hire Nikki, and we're excited about that, we're dealing with the COVID stuff, and no matter whose fault it was, it was a disaster. Now, on paper, she was a great hire, but then of course, you know, Doug last year we had a limited roster. Doug did an amazing job, did the best he could. But it always felt like when we won, you know, it took such an effort, right? It was a surprise when we won. But this week has felt a little more like maybe some of the middle Vic Schaefer years, right? You know, the last couple, we were looking to win an SEC championship and compete for an NFL championship, and so we expected to win every game. But the quality of play and effort this week has been outstanding. And maybe having that week off has allowed us to get fresh legs again. But you take care of Tennessee on Monday in the hump, and we we, we can count our wins over Tennessee on one hand, right? So anytime that you can exercise that demon, it's a big deal because the Lady Vols, you know, the class of women's basketball for much of my lifetime, them in Yukon. Of course, South Carolina risen to prominence here in recent years, and it, it, we'd be remiss if we didn't tip the cap to them. They, they were our rival, and they're still contending, and we're regrouping. But last night, it would have been easy for the Bulldogs to keep their heads in the clouds. We would beat Tennessee. We didn't do that. We went down to Florida, and again, Florida's not a great team. They're not. But you know, when you go on the road in this league, you never know what to get. You know Florida was 14 and 11, 14 and 9 coming into the game, three and seven in the conference, we get them. And state wins every quarter. When you win every quarter, you're guaranteed to win, right? 20 to 15 after one, 31 to 20 after two at the break and then uh, 17 to 12, third quarter, and then 25, 24 in the fourth quarter. And at that point, midway through that fourth quarter, the benches kind of began to empty. The game was over. And it's a good road win. Listen, this is not a great Florida team. But I don't care who you are or where you're from. When you got to go on the road in this league, in any sport, and you get a win, you feel good about life. Now, State's 17-7 and seven overall and 6-5 and five in the league. Jercalia Jordan with 20 points last night. Alana Smith has a dozen. Asanae Johnson has 11 off the bench. Jessica Carter, again, people are determined to take her away from us. 29 minutes of action. She Thankfully, she didn't get a lot of foul trouble this time, but it's just eight points and three rebounds. And so I think what we have done, and you're seeing better guard play, it's almost like we're using Jessica Carter as a bit of a decoy, right? With people are going to double her, and sometimes we've run the offense through her, like we'll, we'll dump it down to her, and then she'll kick it out. But we're getting a lot of play at the rim. A lot of it's to Kelly Jordan, too, and uh, Anastasia Hayes didn't have a big night last night but uh we are we're doing a good job driving to the basket and i think when you look at the numbers last night 34 points in the paint okay jessica carter had eight right and so you know those came in the paint right the rest of those are basically it just drives to the hoop getting to the rim forcing the action and then of course if they you know they pivot over, we can drop it down to Jessica. But uh, it's nice to know that we can win a game on the road in impressive fashion without Jessica Carter having to carry much of the load. But, um, you know, free throw shooting last night, just 4 of 6. We only got the line six times despite the fact that we're driving to the rim. And we're finishing. 9 of 18 from beyond the arc. That'll work. Jekyllia Jordan, 4 for 4 from beyond the arc, 8 of 10 from the floor. That'll play getting some really good production out of her, also nine rebounds. State out-rebounded Florida 46-31, and usually when you're plus 15, you're going to win. Did a good job in perimeter defense. Florida, 24 three-point attempts. They make just six. We can live with that. As a team, Florida shot 32%. State shot 47%. So all the measurables work in our favor here. So, really, really good win for the Bulldogs. And again, not a great team, and you know, we expected to win that game. But that's one of the things that happens. You know, when you, when you go on the road, especially a team like Florida, even though that they have not been great in recent years, they're, they're going to have athletes. You may not know this, but with last night's win, Mississippi State now takes a lead in the all-time series against the University of Florida. Ed, you know that? Yeah, 27 wins for the Bulldogs, 26 losses. Last night uh, broke the tie. And there was a stretch there where um, we had won eight in a row against them from 15 to 21. Of course, it's a Vic for years. But uh, 11 and 13 all time in Gainesville. It's a little bit of a surprise there. It is. But uh, pretty impressive game just because of the fact that, you know, it's really more about the intangibles, right? An immature team might have gone down there and gone through the motions and come home with a loss, and then that would have negated, like, all of the good favor that you've gained from beating Tennessee. All right, so our third game of the week, playing three in seven days, and we talked about we needed to get two of these three. Now we got a great chance to get all three. Texas A&M comes in on Sunday. That's a 2 p.m. tip. That's the Think Pink games. So if you're thinking about wearing pink, wear it. It's going to be broadcast by the SEC Network. Need a big crowd. Need a big crowd. It's a game we expect to win. But all of a sudden, you start thinking – you win this one, that's three in a row, in the conference, makes you seven and five, and uh, with Arkansas losing to Vanderbilt last night, I believe State now is uh, sixth in the standings. So you win this one, and you're seven and five with just a handful to play, all of a sudden your NCAA tournament prospects get better. Now we're not there yet, we're not. Again, we start breaking the season down in three game segments. You win this one, you've won all three of those, and uh, it's a pretty impressive stretch with a was probably the only sure win. And, of course, we still got to go play that game. And then next week it's at Missouri. That's the long game of the week. And then we get into, uh, you know, Sunday, Thursday. But um, seven and five with five to play. Is that right? Seven and five. We we win against AM, makes a seven and five. Then we've got Missouri, Alabama, Arkansas, LSU with four to play. Seven and five with four to play. So you start looking at that last four games, you know, The LSU game is going to be tough. The rest of those are winnable. They're at worst toss-ups. So you could, if you win the ones that you're supposed, if you win these toss-ups, I mean goodness, I mean you you could win nine, even as much as ten games in the conference. I think you win ten, you're certainly in. But the Bulldogs have a great chance to finish above 500 in the top half of the league in the SEC, and uh, not to mention, even though we lost to South Carolina. It's proven that we're capable of playing with anybody. Of course, there's the outlier with Georgia. But you start looking at this, the way this thing is kind of setting up now, we are taking care of business. If we had lost to Tennessee and beat Florida and beat a we'd say, okay, we won two or three. That keeps us on track. But you've got that loud win over Tennessee now Is a resume builder. And we need them to continue to play well in the conference you know, to kind of help us in the net. But when you start looking at kind of what's left here, the only sure loss is at LSU on their senior night. That's not to say we're going to run the rest of them, but we, you know you could extend this streak here. You know maybe as many as a half dozen games. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. We have got to go take care of AM And And taking a quick look at uh, at the Lady Aggies. I mean things have changed considerably uh, since Gary Blair has moved on. But uh, six and fifteen overall, they are one and ten in the SEC. They've lost three games in a row. They have not won a game away from College Station, 0-8 away from their home arena. Let's just kind of look at SEC play. You know, they begin the year at number one, South Carolina. They get absolutely crushed by 42. They lose to Florida at home by 7. They go to LSU, lose by 40. Lose by 19 to Ole Miss in College Station. Lose to Tennessee by 12 lose to us by 16 in college station they lose at alabama by 15. they beat georgia a team that beat us 75-73 and again both of the losses to georgia on the men's and women's side are just absolute blemishes on our resume they go to vanderbilt lose by nine they lose by seven to florida so they have been more competitive as of late they gave lsu all they wanted and then some on sunday lose by six so you know, every game, the last four games, has been decided by single digits. So they're a better team than they were when we played them uh, back on January 15th, which is something that I'm sure that Sam Purcell will point out to our ladies. we got to win this game, though. No ifs, ands, or buts. You, know, you call it a must-win game because it is. We can ill afford to take a loss of this measure. got to win the game. Happy for Sam, happy for our ladies, and so grateful – for all of our fans that have turned out. So we need a big crowd because this is going to be – you're going to see them on Sunday. You can see them the next Sunday. Then you only got one more chance to see them at Humphrey College, see them the rest of the year. That's it. Just three more times the rest of the year. Of course, senior night will be that – senior day will actually be the Sunday, and then we'll play one more home game. Uh, That's Greek night on Thursday, February 23rd. So all you Greeks – You need to come out there and be loud for the Lady Bulldogs. But, uh, again, we expected the ladies to be in the tournament. We still can be. We hoped the men could be in the tournament. We still can be. Still feel pretty safe that we'll be in the NIT and playing postseason basketball. But how could we be disappointed at this point? Both first-year coaches doing a good job and getting better here in the month of February when it matters most, playing well down the stretch, improving game to game. You know, again, you can't judge anybody by their best or worst game. You know, that both losses of Georgia are terrible. But the loss on the women's side of Georgia is just absolutely inexplicable. But when you start looking at the packing order and the SEC and you start thinking with the women, there are a lot of teams around us that are going to beat each other up. We just got to take care of each other and let the traffic clear around us. And I mean, because the hierarchy is pretty much established, right? South Carolina and LSU both undefeated on the season and, of course, within the league, it's, it's, it's amazing. I mean, it really is to see the job that Kim Mulkey's done down there. And, you know, that's the thing, I guess, you know, Don Staley's like it's a different villain every year. You know, it's like Vic Schaefer leaves and all of a sudden Kim Mulkey arrives, right? Um, and Tennessee's gotten a lot better, right? So you look at that, that that's the top three teams. Of course, State's beat them. All Miss beating us twice. And then there's Alabama and Mississippi State. So we are in sole possession there of sixth place. It's 6-5. A game ahead of Arkansas, a game ahead of Georgia, uh, two games ahead of Missouri, who will play. And so you start you know, working through all this and you start thinking, okay, we've got a chance here to ensure that we finish in the top half of the league. And when you consider the fact that um, you know, A&M comes in this weekend, you know, A&M, of course, the last place team in the league, you absolutely have to win that game. There's no recovery from that. Right? You just you simply can't. We can ill afford to drop that ball game, and I feel confident we'll win the game. You know, I feel really good about our prospects there, and I think you guys do too. But you know how it is this time of year. I mean, you know Vanderbilt probably thought, or Tennessee thought that they were going to have any trouble with uh, with Vanderbilt on the men's side, and then they get this embarrassing loss that you just can't ride with. You just can't. But uh, again, looking at kind of what's left for us, you know, Missouri is behind us in the standings. Alabama just ahead of us in the standings. And it's been a much better year for Alabama. Arkansas just behind us in the standings. So we're going to have a chance here after A&M to play three teams that are on equal footing as us. And you've got to get at least two of those three. You have to get at least two of those three. And again, again, you take A&M, you get two of the next three. Life is opening up for you. Because if you you beat A&M to go 7-5, and five, win two of the next three, that gives you nine you drop one and then lose an LSU game, you're 9-7. You had a winning record in the, the best conference in America. You're in the tournament, I believe, at 9-7 and because you'd have 20 wins overall and then uh, nine wins in the conference. I don't know how they keep you out. I really don't. I think it works out well for us. And I think deep down they want us in a tournament. They know you guys are going to go to games. They won't be here, but we'll have an opportunity to continue to – to build, and uh, the thing that I say, and I know many of you say, "Well, Steve, you're a John Cohen friend," and I am. John made some hiring decisions that didn't work out, but on his way out the door, did a really good job for us. And I think lost in translation sometimes too is you know, the Zach Arnett was still at Mississippi State because your former athletic director John Cohen had him sign an agreement negotiated a deal that had a huge buyout. Remember, LSU wanted him, couldn't get him. There were some other schools that wanted to pursue him. It wouldn't pay to buy out for a D.C. So he was here because of the steps we took administratively. And so when we have this tragedy, and in many respects, I think Zach was kind of the de facto coach in waiting. So your head football coach is a guy that not only did we fight to keep, we ensured that he was uh, under contract that made it easier for us to keep him. And then he hires Chris Jans and Sam Purcell. And I think, you know, again, a relatively small sample size, but I think we would all agree that we're laying a pretty good foundation for the future. And so my hope is when you look now at this in hindsight, so you know what, I may not have always agreed with John Cohen. I didn't agree with him hiring Nikki McRae-Pinson, which I still will defend on paper. It was an amazing hire. And uh, one of the things that uh, John had told me, too, He said that he would never hire another coach that he couldn't watch him practice. That's interesting. And uh, there was a couple coaches that he never got a chance to see him practice. Other ones he did. And he goes, you know what? That's the lifeblood of it. you got to know how these people facilitate a practice. You know, and Joe Moorhead, again, was a great hire on paper, was named by some as the top offensive coordinator and top assistant coach in the country when we hired him. And I still think that his value system mirrored ours. I think Joe was just a guy that – maybe wasn't quite ready for the job. Maybe. I think Joe was um, maybe a little bit too much of a player's coach. But the reality of it is, is like yeah, maybe the first time through, John made some hires that didn't pan out. But I think on his way out the door, he made some moves that I think had put us in a much better position athletically. And I think Zach Selman can build upon that. All right, final segment of the show brought to you by Portico. You know, Portico is uh, the place that I'll tell you. If you're moving to Starkville, look no further than Portico. You can give yourself a self-guided tour. Turn off 82 on a 12, take the first right, it's Pat Station Road. You've seen you pass that road a million times on your way to campus, right? Go through the four-way stoppers, portico on the right-hand side. You can start with a two-bedroom, two-bath home, go all the way up to a four-bedroom, four-bath home, and really get anything in between. They'll give you the custom build. Reach out to our friend Brooks Bryan, 601-416-8075. Again, that's 601-416-8075 portico so conveniently located in mississippi state is 1.1 miles away from all things bulldog how cool would that be right to be that close to campus but far enough away that you get the convenience but also a little bit of privacy if i was moving to starkville now i'd move to portico i'd love to be that close to campus might just buy a golf cart drive right uh, but the reality of it is is that many of you are considering either having a place here or making this your primary residence we'd love for you to be our neighbor Phase 1's completely sold out. Phase 2 under development now. You can you can kind of go ahead and buy a house. It's nearing completion or you can pick out a lot and build it the way you want it. But again, give Brooks a call today at 601-416-8075. Make Portico your next move. I'm sure you have seen or heard that the SEC coaches poll came out yesterday and Mississippi State picked dead last in the West. I don't like seeing that. You know, cuz it's like, "Oh, is this a harbinger of things to come?" Right? The reality of it is, is that you got to take all this with a grain of salt. Anybody can make a list, even though their list at times has a little more levity to it because they're coaches, they know the players. But let's run through it right here. Beginning with the East, they have Missouri. Missouri, the least vote-getter in the conference. 19, and you got to wonder how many years Beezer's going to stay there. 19, so they're seventh. Nick Miggione, Kentucky, sixth. Georgia, fifth. South Carolina, fourth. Vanderbilt third, and then 15 points ahead of them is Florida, and then Tennessee, who got 12 first-place votes to win the East with 90 points. So Tennessee, the runaway favorite. Some people picked Florida. I'm kind of curious. And I don't know if Tony would have voted for himself. I don't think he would. But it makes me wonder if O'Sullivan did. <laughs> but anyway, that's how it's predicted. And I, I really can't argue. Uh, I, think, I do think Kentucky can make this thing interesting. Not for the challenge of of the crown, but I do think Kentucky is on par with Georgia and South Carolina. I think Georgia is going to take a bit of a step back this year. They were a veteran team last year. I mean, Georgia should never be in the bottom half of this league, but they often are. But Scott Strickland always has pitchers, always, always, always has pitchers. But I think Nick and those guys, I think Nick is probably coaching for his job this year, and I hate that. But I think Kentucky could actually finish fourth in the league this year. I think they could. And, again, you've got to break down a schedule and kind of look at it. But, uh, you know, they, they have to place Tennessee, Florida, and Vanderbilt every year. They also get the benefit of playing Missouri. So you've got to take care of Missouri, and you've got to take care of, you know, Georgia and South Carolina. If you're Nick, you need to win all three of those series and, and avoid getting swept. Anytime that you can pick up a win here or there, remember the big win they had over Tennessee last year? That was huge. And that was when Tennessee kind of started faltering a little bit, right? Okay, on the west side, of course, Mississippi State picked last. But it's not like a, it's not a runaway deal. We're right there with Alabama and Auburn. I'm just going to say it now. I think we're going to finish ahead of both of those teams, just, if, provided we stay healthy. I still think we're a two seed somewhere on the road in a tournament. Uh, but Mississippi State seventh, Auburn sixth, Alabama fifth, Ole Miss fourth. Somebody voted them to win the west and the SEC. Uh, no. Uh, Arkansas, third, and I'm Arkansas is probably the team that's most intriguing to me because I, I love Dave Van Horn's style of play. I love how hard nosed he is. I love the fact that Dave is always attacking. Every at bat is a battle. They never give you anything. And we talk about you know teams taking on the personality of their coach. And listen, Dave's a little prickly. Don't get me wrong. But the reality of it is, Dave Van Horn wins baseball games. That's the reality of life. Big news yesterday though is Jackson Wiggins from Arkansas lost for the year. So I suspect if we voted now, Arkansas is probably not picked third in the West, and maybe you put all Miss ahead of them. But anybody that loses a frontline starter on a weekend, you're taking a step back. I mean, you're going to need some guys to step up. It's not mean they're not going to be a good team, but when you lose Jackson Wiggins, who was an absolute stud, he's one of the top 100 players in the draft. That's huge. So now everybody moves up a spot. We went through this last year, right? But I think Arkansas is a team, I could see them finishing anywhere from third to sixth in this league. I think they're one of those teams, you know, when you look at what they lost last year, it's going to be difficult to replace a lot of that. It is. And I, listen, again, I, I have a tremendous amount of respect for Arkansas baseball. And some of their fans at times are like, oh, well, Steve hates this. I, abs- I hate losing to those guys, but I respect them. And I respect that fan base for coming out and supporting college baseball. I'm, of course, I'm an advocate for college baseball. And some people don't like that. You know what? Learn to live with it. But I think this Arkansas team, I think there is a lot of range for this team, especially in the wake of this Jackson Wiggins news. And A&M is picked second in the West. I don't agree with that. I think on paper you look at it and you say, you know what, they're bringing so many guys back. A&M made it to Omaha last year, give Slashnag a lot of credit. But I never got the sense that they were a dominant team last year, which makes them a little bit scary at times on both sides of the ledger, right? It's like last year they always found a way to get the timely hit. They were a veteran team. I think Texas A&M is another team that could finish anywhere from second to sixth or even seventh. I think everything has to go right for AM. I don't look at them on paper and say, hey, this is a team that can challenge LSU because that, they, I don't think they can. I think basically everybody behind LSU is pretty even. And then there's LSU that got 12 votes to win the West. And on paper, LSU could be one of the greatest teams ever assembled. You got Tommy Tanks and Paul Skeens, you got some returning guys that come back. I wish you should be good. It's gonna boil down to pitching. That's the thing too. Like nobody they brought in a lot of pitchers, but they brought in some guys too that like Christian Little. Christian Little was not good at Vanderbilt. Now, maybe to change his scenery will be good for him. I'm not a fan. I just don't like his mental makeup. I think this is a kid that folds at adversity. Now, the good thing is is, you know, guys mature, and they begin to kind of develop, you know, some mental toughness. He has the stuff. He just doesn't have the confidence to throw it. LSU picked to win the SEC out of the 14 votes. LSU got 11. Tennessee didn't get a single vote. Let that sink in for a second. Florida with one. Ole Miss with one. A&M with one. If I had to pick it today, I'm picking LSU, right? Again, on paper. And they're going to be very difficult in their own ballpark. They're going to be some gaudy scores in that softball field they call the baseball stadium at Alex Box. If you've ever been there, like you, you can, like if you ever go there, like on a day when there's nobody there, we, Ani played their travel team ball there one year when we were playing for the Mississippi Stars. And you go up to the concourse, the first base concourse, and there is a draft. Even on a regular day, there's a draft pushing that ball out to left field. It's incredible how well designed that ballpark is. And you get to play over half your games in there. But LSU is going to be dangerous in their own ballpark. It's going to be interesting to see how they play on the road. But that's a tough place to play, and we have to go down there. Uh, now, we did have a couple Bulldogs make the all-SEC preseason team. Luke Hancock, a second-team selection as a catcher. And a lot of that is a career award. I mean, Luke is a guy, obviously, that uh, is a very talented hitter. Didn't have the year we'd hoped last year, but Luke is a Luke is a tough out. And then Colton Ledbetter, second-team outfielder from Mississippi State. So the only two Bulldogs to make it. And let's be honest about that. You know, who, who else would you put? You know, Monty Larry got picked uh, – preseason all-american by uh, the National College Baseball Writers Association. So we have some talent, but when you know when you start going up and down the lineup here, you begin to realize hey guys, we got four guys back from last year's starting nine. Yeah. Hunter Hines, who will play first. Lane Forsyth at short. Kellen Clark, I didn't write and then Luke Hancock will move from first behind the plate. That's the only four guys back from last year's lineup. And that might actually be a good thing, right? And then you got Colton Ledbetter in center. We expe- there's a lot of expectations for him. And there's Connor Hisak in left and Dakota Jordan, some in left. And one of those guys will eight some. And there's Alfred at third. You know, he was the guy last year, even Cam James told me, best defensive third baseman on the team. And maybe you forgot Cam James was third baseman, Right. And Cam was no slouch in his own right. But Alfred's a guy that had a huge summer, so we're expecting him to make the jump this year. And that's the thing people say, oh, it's, they don't show us any respect. Well, the truth of the matter is, and I had this discussion with my wife yesterday. She was absolutely indignant, ready to start firing off emails. No, not really. She was upset, though. She said, they never give us any respect. I said, well, maybe actually they do. There are a lot of years that we get based off, we get ranked on reputation. It's true. But I think if you look at how we ended the year last year, and you look at the fact that we still haven't settled the rotation. We're going to have five new names in the lineup regularly. There's a lot of question marks with this team. So is it fair to pick us last? Probably. Are we the seventh worst team in the West? Absolutely not. Anybody can make a list. And as, as I pointed out in an article yesterday, last year the SEC coaches picked Auburn and A&M sixth and seventh. Both of them ended up in Omaha. Tennessee, if I remember correctly, was picked fourth in the conference, ended up being the number one seed in the NCAA tournament. That's the thing about baseball. It's so much different than, like, football or even basketball because there are so many variables involved in putting a baseball team together. But there are a lot of question marks about this team. And, and listen, the SEC coaches are not coming to watch us play in the fall. They're not. They don't, and I don't think a lot of people realize what we have in Dakota Jordan what we have in Ross Highfield, and how great this class is, this great class, and then you go out and get a stopgap class, and I, I think LSU is probably the only transfer class you look at and say it's better than ours. And it is impressive, right? And if we'd been able to get Paul Skeen's, I might have been able to make the case that ours was better than theirs, or at least on par with theirs. But LSU worked the portal really hard, as we did too. But there's no, there's not going to be pressure on us. It's going to be a tremendous amount of pressure on them. And they've got some alpha dogs out there. They'll be ready to go. LSU is is ready to be LSU again. They haven't been LSU for a while. And so now the transfer portal comes along. They're like, hey, we can assemble an all-star team. And so it'll be an interesting case study. I, I think in many respects, I think the portal probably works a little bit better for a baseball renovation than it does football. Because baseball is a team game played by individuals. Like football is different. You know, you can't just go put five guys out there on the offensive line. There, there's a chemistry to it all. Same thing on defense. You know, what I'm saying there's a lot of moving pieces. But in baseball, it's an individual game, and so you can go get the best individuals. And other than kind of putting together your relay race and then your your middle infielders, and developing some chemistry between pitchers and catchers, you just let kids go play ball. That's an important aspect of this. That's why I think the base. I think the portal works better. For baseball than it does football not to say that there's not effects on football I'm absolutely not suggesting that at all but I think the turnaround can happen quicker with baseball I mean Colton Ledbetter has been playing baseball his entire life you know he's not going to be dependent on the shortstop to help him run a route he didn't need the left fielder to make a block for him he just runs out there and plays baseball you know and so I think again not to belabor the point, I think you can turn a baseball program around very, very quickly by using an NCAA portal. I expect this team to be in the NCAA tournament. I do. And uh, I don't think it's a situation that uh, I don't think we'll have to scratch it out the last weekend. But I don't think we're going to be challenging for uh, you know top eight or anything like that. People forget Oh Miss last team in the tournament last year. The absolute last team in the tournament, and they won an apple championship. And, again, as much as we don't like the Rebel fans, how can you not respect Ole Miss baseball and the job that Mike Bianco has done? And that's the thing that I ask myself sometimes when I see all these criticisms of Bianco. And I know a lot of it's, well, you only went to Omaha one time in 21 years. I get it, especially after we win one, right? But it's like I think to myself, do you remember what you were before? And that's not to say you can't be better. And Mike Bianco, as much as I hated seeing them win the year after we did, There's a part of me I was happy for Bianco. He'd been so criticized, and he'd done such a great job up there, and I don't know that he was truly appreciated. And now maybe he can be, you know. Um, But again, the SEC West is an unforgiving league, and if you ever get on the bottom, it's tough to get back up. It is. And you may recall this. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. I want to pull this up for you you, because a lot of people forget this. Do you remember who we beat, who we swept on the last weekend of 2016 to win the SEC Championship. That, you remember that's the big weekend when the Clarion-Ledger put thanks Rebels, you know, because they, they won a game against a and that allowed us to win the outright SEC title. Do you remember this? We beat Arkansas. We swept Arkansas to finish. And we celebrated and we won the SEC Championship and we were all so excited. It was a wonderful time. We hadn't won it since 89, forever in a day, it felt like. And the SEC championship is important. It is. It's not as important as the NCAA tournament, being a top eight, working your way into the, that tournament. But a lot of people forget this, how bad Arkansas was that year. Arkansas went 7-23 and in the conference. In 26 and 29 overall, 7 and 23, the worst record in the SEC. They narrowly edged out Auburn, who was 8 and 22. And then Missouri and Tennessee were 9 and 21. It, it feels weird to mention that about Tennessee and Arkansas now. They were 7 and 23 that year. Mississippi State finishes 21 and 9 that year to win the SEC. South Carolina had a rainout that year and finished a half game behind us with a 20 and 9 record. Now, you know what happened the next year? Arkansas went 18-11, 45-19, made the NCAA tournament. There was a four seed in the SEC tournament. Maybe you remember that. I do. The next year for Arkansas, pretty incredible. You may have forgotten this too. Arkansas played for a national championship. They go from winning seven games, having the worst record in the SEC than two years playing for a National championship. In 2017, the year after they finished last, they won their regional. I mean, again, that's the thing about baseball. They didn't have a transfer portal back then. And, again, that speaks to my respect for Dave Horn, but also, too, I'm just trying to explain to you guys, too, as best I can, as much as it hurts to read this it stuff, doesn't, it doesn't matter. It's just a prediction. It's just a prediction. Until these young men get there on the field next weekend, nobody's going to really know what we got. I kind of like the fact that we're being disrespected a little bit. And we've earned that, right? But my hope is those guys with the M over S caps on, just go out there to chip on their shoulder and say, that's fine. You will go ahead. You go right ahead. And then we get into about a month into the conference schedule. and Let's, let's reevaluate and see where we are. Well, so that's going to do it for today. If you had not done so, go to dogpilethebook.com. You can order all my sports books there. You can probably find them in some local bookstores, too. And if you're looking for Stark Villains gear, go to StarkVillains.com. And, again, this is the last weekend before Valentine's Day. Invest in something sweet for the person you love. You don't have to go out there and buy some expensive ring. I know some of you plan to get engaged. Good luck with that. Make some extra effort. Do something thoughtful for the person you love. Valentine's Day is a few days away now. And, again, I'll be celebrating my Valentine's Day dinner Sunday night and then uh, record you guys a show uh, Monday morning. And uh, it's going to be a quick trip, okay? It's going to be a quick trip. I'm going to go out there, handle business, love on my wife for a little while, and I'm going to come back, and then I'm getting my mind ready for college baseball season. So we're going to be talking a lot of college baseball season next week. I'm a matter of fact, I'm going to break down. And I'm going to preview the uh, the weekends, the opening weekends for everybody, and then also, too, I'll give you my picks for the SEC East and West next week. And I'll give you my Honest expectations about these Bulldogs. And, again, I do expect us to make the tournament. And I I think by the time we get there, nobody's going to want us. And we'll see what happens. But I think we start taking steps back to being Mississippi State this year. Until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends and enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live.